Amen. Well, good morning. We're so glad to welcome you to church today and uh, so thankful for all that the Lord has done for us that we could just sing together, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I hope that your soul is full of the glory of the Lord today, that you know that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sin and that you're on your way to heaven. We had a wonderful Sunday last Sunday with our missionaries uh, to Japan, the Riffle family, thankful for them and their ministry. They fly back, I believe it's Tuesday, back to Japan, so we need to be praying for them. And then be praying for James Collard. We prayed for him last Sunday. He's down in the Dominican Republic. He heads home tomorrow, and he's preaching today down there. They had a wonderful week. When I talked to him earlier in the week, they had already seen five boys trust Christ this week down there. And so looking forward to hearing his report when he gets back uh, very soon. And want to also be encouraging you to be praying this week our boys and girls, our teenagers, are headed to camp this week, and then next week, our juniors, our junior-age boys and girls, will head to camp. So be praying for them at the end of the service this morning. We're going to take up, as part of our regular tithes and offerings, we're going to take up our camp scholarship offering. Our boys and girls have been memorizing Scripture. Many of them have participated in this, and we want to help them go to camp as a reward for their work in memorizing Scripture. If you can give to that today, great. If you, I announced that last week, but if you weren't prepared today, you can also give to that next Sunday as well. We want to be able to help as many of those boys and girls get to camp as possible. I was reading last night and was encouraged uh, through the story of the man that many of you may know. His name was John Newton. John Newton lived some 200 years ago over in England, and uh, he is best known for writing the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What some people don't know about John Newton was, as a young man, he ran hard away from God. In fact, uh, he was a slave himself for a while, and then he ended up working on a slave ship as a slave captain for a while before he came to Christ. But when God worked in his heart, and when he got saved, God did a wonderful thing in his life. John Newton became a pastor and pastored for many years, and he was very influential in helping to uh, abolish slavery even over in England. He also had a key part in sending uh, another man, another missionary, over to Australia to start churches there. And I wanted to encourage our church. We're not a very old church. We're just a couple years old. But we have an opportunity next Sunday to be a part of a new church plant. We're going to have a church planter with us. And he's going to be starting here in Houston next year, but he's already doing some work to get started. So actually, uh, this coming, I'm sorry, Saturday the 20th, so two Saturdays from now, not this coming Saturday, but Saturday a week, a number of us are going to go down and help him with some canvassing, passing out flyers and invitations to a Bible study that they'll be doing on Tuesday night at the community center down there. And so we'd love to have you join us, 9.30 on Saturday the 20th. We're going to meet here at the church in the morning. There are several other churches joining up with us. This is a team effort, and we're going to go down together. And if you'd like to come but you can't, uh, don't want to walk the streets and do all that for whatever reason, if you would like to come and pray, we'd love to have some folks here praying. There will also be a lunch for everybody after we do that canvassing together. But as I was reading about John Newton, I was reminded of something when he wrote a letter to this man down in Australia. And I was sharing this with somebody this morning, and I wanted to share it with our church. Because sometimes when you're serving the Lord, it can get discouraging. Sometimes when you're trying to do what's right, it just feels like it doesn't matter. And maybe nobody's paying attention, or, or what's the point of this anyway? Sometimes when you're trying to be faithful to share the gospel with people that don't know Christ, you think, is anybody listening anyway? Why am I doing this? And this letter, while it's a couple hundred years old, I think these words are very encouraging. This is written from an older man, John Newton, who had lived a very wicked life, but then had served God for many years. Then he's writing a letter to another young man who's trying to get a work started for God over in Australia. And he wrote and he said, I have not been disheartened by your apparent want of success. I have been told that skillful gardeners will undertake to sow and raise a salad for dinner in the short time while the meat is roasting. But no gardener can raise oaks with such expedition. 
you are sent to Australia, back then it was known as New Holland, not to sow salad seeds, but to plant acorns. And your labor will not be lost, though the first appearances may be very small, and the progress very slow. You are, I trust, planting for the next century. You know, often we think of what's going to happen today and tomorrow. He's encouraging him, you're planting for the next century. I have a good hope that your oaks will one day spring up and flourish and produce other acorns which in due time will take root and spread among the islands and nations in the southern ocean. And that's exactly what happened. The gospel continued there and continues there until this day. You think about when you drive down the city streets of Houston, especially in the older neighborhoods, what, is, what are those known for? They're known for their beautiful oak trees. You go down by Herman Park and you can see those beautiful big oak trees. Those didn't get there in a day, did they? Many of those are well over 100 years old. And you think about them, they're beautiful, they're stately, they're secure because they've grown slowly, but they've grown strong. They've had a good foundation. The Bible tells us in Psalm 1 that blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I love that little phrase, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I want you to think as we go through our service today, what do you like? You just like a, that salad that John Newton mentioned, it's just there for a moment, and then it's gone, it's just burned up, it's eaten, it's gone. Or are you, spiritually speaking, an oak tree? or at least growing to become an oak tree that can help to grow other strong families, strong individuals, strong churches for the glory of God. And that the message of Christ would carry on throughout the generations, throughout our city, our state, our country, and our world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the encouragement of men and women who have served You faithfully in the years gone by. Lord, we thank you for their faithfulness, and we are recipients of of your blessing as a result of their faithfulness to you. Lord, I pray that we would be men and women of God, boys and girls who would stand up and would declare the truth unashamedly, would share the gospel passionately with our friends and family and neighbors. I pray that we would be faithful, Lord, to reach out into our local community with the gospel, and then to be a part of reaching another community with the gospels, another church gets started. Lord, I pray for Brother David and his wife Adriana this morning as, that you'd bless them in their ministry and encourage them. Lord, I pray for James as he's ministering down in the Dominican Republic this morning. Keep him safe and give him the words to preach this morning. I pray that you bring him home safely tomorrow and we'll look forward to hearing his testimony of your grace. Lord, I thank you that uh, we can have the Ngoga family with us this morning. And we pray for them and the ministry that they have an opportunity to be a part of. Lord, I pray for those who are away traveling today. Many are away with the holidays and summertime. Pray that you'd give them safety and a wonderful time of relaxation. I pray specifically this morning for our teenagers. I think of each one, Grant, Gracie, Sophie, Samuel, Jacob, Amelie, who will be going to camp. Lord, I know we have some other youth as well. I pray for Gabriel. 
Lord, I pray that you'd encourage them. Be with Jonathan as he's away with his family. Lord, help these young people to grow in their walk with you this week at camp. If one of them doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they'd be saved. Lord, I pray for our juniors who will head out a week from now. Give them safety and a wonderful time at camp as well. We thank you for the wonderful group that is going. And we look forward to you doing a work in their heart. And we look forward to their testimonies. Father, I pray even now for the special day of canvassing on the 20th as we go out to help a new church get started. Pray that our folks would be involved in that and come and and be a part, that you'd give us good weather for that day, and that we'd be able to make some contacts and reach some people. Lord, maybe we'd pray that we could even see some souls saved that day. Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified and lifted up. We love you, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've got uh, somebody special to recognize this morning, a couple, couple somebodies. Joe, you finished continue. Come on up, and Dan. All right. Glad he's here today and uh, thankful for these men. And they've been encouragement to me, and I know this has been a blessing to them. So Joe and Dad have been meeting and going through our Bible study, continue. And Joe officially has completed, gets a certificate. Here's a little book for you. This is a beginner's guide. I know maybe you're not a beginner, but I hope it'll help you as well. And uh, Dad, maybe you have a word you want to say. (laughs) This has been a lot of fun. Uh, Enjoyed fellowshipping with Brother Joe and getting to know him. One of the things, uh, I I was a little intimidated. I mean, he's he's been an assistant pastor in the past, so it was a a bit of a a different thing. But um, I would just encourage any of you who have not Um, participate in a continue class to consider doing it Um, it's a wonderful experience it's a great way if you know the Bible it's a great way to be reminded about the basic truths of God's Word and if you don't know the Bible that well this is a really great way to just take it at your own pace and get to know the Bible so uh, we've had great fellowship and really uh, you become good friends doing this together so amen And I've asked uh, Simon to come and to share a testimony this morning. I was supposed to do this several weeks ago, and it just totally slipped my mind, so I'm very sorry about that. But uh, their family has a wonderful ministry uh, over back overseas in Rwanda, and I'm very thankful for their family and all the work that God is allowing them to do. And uh, that's just a wonderful story. You'll have to talk to them to hear more of those details. But I wanted him to share with you about an opportunity they have coming up and a prayer request because of some issues that we need the Lord to work out. Good morning. Uh, We are very grateful and thankful to be part of this wonderful family. Above all, we are very grateful to be in God's family. We thank God who sent us here. We really didn't know that we're gonna, we are going to have this beautiful family and uh, good relationship. Uh, God gave us a burden and we failed to give back to what God has given us. We come from Central East Africa. We're both from Rwanda and Uganda. Christina was born and grew up in Uganda as a refugee. And uh, 1994, I lost my parents during genocide. We lost, I mean, we lost everything. We lost hope. And God restored us to be who we are today. So God gave us this so that we can give back to our people. Amen. We started the sponsorship program. We started as a family, me and Christine. And uh, time came and she was like, look, maybe we should ask for help you know, from different people. And we, we prayed about it. And uh, we launched Thankful International as a ministry registered. We had some help from people here from church and, you know, big support. And uh, we do have a sponsorship program going on in Rwanda and Uganda. 
we have kids sponsored in elementary school, high school, and you have a few in a college or university. So Christine was supposed to go for her second mission trip this summer, and there has been some few changes with immigration, and uh, we, we moved this to fall, right? She'll be going in fall instead of this summer. I will let Christine come and also give some few words. Good morning. <laughs> yes, everything Simon has been saying is true. <laughs> we have been blessed. We have 27 children that we are sponsoring in Uganda and Rwanda together. And it's a blessing. We know children need education. They need to be educated, but they need Jesus more than they need education. We have seen this in our own lives. I would rather have Jesus than education. And we have been doing this as a reach out to, to have a relationship. We are building a relationship with these children and their families. So when we reach out to them, share, we want to just share with them why we do this. We do this because Jesus loved us. Jesus has freely blessed us. Everything we, we have, we do not deserve. But he has graciously blessed us, and we want to reach out to other people all around the world. So we will begin with the places that we know very well. We know God has blessed us with different languages for a reason, and we will use them to share his gospel. So I was ready. My bags are packed. I have lots of things from people who have sponsored children. I have lots of backpacks, and my suitcases are full. And my ticket is bought for Wednesday the 10th. And uh, immigration writes to me and tells me, sorry, the document we gave you, you cannot use it. <laughs> it's, a, it's different from the one I used last year. I looked at it, and it didn't make lots of sense. But I was like, it's from immigration. I will use it. And on Friday, I realized I cannot. So I will not be going this summer. But I'm working on going. But of course, it's hard for me to go during the school year. I will wait for another break. So that will be the fall. Thank you for your prayers. Whoever has been praying, please keep praying for more open doors. You can come with me in the fall. I want to plan to go during Thanksgiving time. So if you can give up your Thanksgiving in America and come try it somewhere else, you're welcome to come with me. That's all I want to share. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Uh, please keep praying for us. And I want to thank Uncle Louis for the gift you made for the kids. Uh, they are not going in this summer, but they will go anyway. So thank you. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, and I was in Shushan, the palace. The Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left on the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corrupt against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commanded thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them. Thou there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them 
from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by the great power and by the strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let, thou, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was a king's cupbearer. All right, boys and girls, we're going to dismiss you out to junior church right now. And adults, let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes at a very interesting time in the story of the nation of Israel. If you know some of your Old Testament story, you'll know that the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, were God's chosen people. There was a man by the name of Abraham that God made a special promise to, that God promised him a land, He promised him a wonderful seed, wonderful descendants, and He gave him a wonderful blessing. And if you know the timeline of the Bible, you'll know that Jesus Christ Himself was a descendant of Abraham. He came through the line of Jesse and David, down through uh, the ages and the genealogies, if you read those, to see the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But the nation of Israel, as you also probably know, had their struggles. In fact, as you read through the Old Testament, especially after you get past the Exodus and they get into the Promised Land, it wasn't very long before they go into a very vicious cycle of sin, punishment, turning back to God. God would restore them back to the land, and then they go right back in. Sin, punishment, crying out to God, God restoring them back to the land. This went over and over and over. This happened when there were judges in the land. And they were brought out. And you can read the book of Judges to find out about that. This even happened under the various kings that came along later on. And many times for the nation of Israel, and truthfully as it is for us today, one of their biggest problems was the sin of idolatry. Now we live in a country today where most Americans don't have a shelf up in their house like you might if you lived in Japan with a number of false idols on top of it. And yet here in America, we're very good at having our own idols, aren't we? We have things that we put into a position higher than God. It looks like entertainment, our sports teams. It may look like our vehicles. It may be a house. It could even be our family. While family's important, it's not more important than God. While your job is important, it's not more important than God. So we struggle with the same things today as these people back then struggled with. So God, every time the children of Israel would turn to idols, to false gods, God would bring punishment. God wasn't being mean by doing this. God was being faithful. You see, God had made them a promise. He said, if you'll serve me, if you'll put me first, He said, I'll bless you. I'll bless your people. I'll bless your children. I'll bless your land. But He said, if you turn from me, if you turn to idols, you will be judged. You will be punished for your sin. Now, many times this judgment for the children of Israel came in the form of an enemy country invading and taking over the land, taking the people captive with them. And in fact, that's what we're reading about. That's what's going on during the time of Nehemiah. The children of Israel, by this time, the kings had come and gone, and the nation had been split into two. We had the northern ten tribes and the southern two, Judah and Benjamin, but really Benjamin was kind of absorbed into Judah. And the northern ten tribes had been kind of assimilated or conquered by Assyria and had been just really almost lost. The southern tribes had also been conquered by the nation of Babylon. Think King Nebuchadnezzar. Think Daniel in the lion's den. That was all going on in Babylon. And then, of course, we know the Babylonians were uh, conquered by the Persians. And so now the Persians are in charge. And there was a king in Persia by the name of Cyrus. And God worked in Cyrus's heart. 
Did you know God can even work in the heart of unsaved people? God did this in accordance to His plan. You can read about this prophecy through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 25, he tells about how this would come about and how God would restore His people back to His land. You say, how could God do this? Well, the Bible tells us the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. God can even take a wicked ruler, a wicked pagan king, and use him to accomplish his purpose. And so God worked in the heart of Cyrus, and he wanted to send some people back to Israel so that they could rebuild the temple. And so he looked out in the land and called for a leader, and a man by the name of Zerubbabel, whose name means planted in Babylon. He was literally born there and raised there because by this time the children of Israel had been there for close to 70 years in captivity. So he leads a group of Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And when they come back, they, they begin to gather stones and they build the foundation for the temple and they build the altar and they have a sacrifice on the altar in Jerusalem. They celebrate the Passover for the first time in 70 years. But at this day of celebration, not everybody's happy because there are elders in the land the old people that remembered the former days, the old temple, Solomon's temple, that beautiful structure with all the gold. They remembered what it was like when God's presence filled the Holy of Holies. And while some rejoiced on that day, others wept because it wasn't like it used to be. Now, about this time, not too long, well, actually several, a number of years after this, probably 50, 60 years later, a man by the name of Ezra, and he has a book in the Bible named after him, right after Nehemiah. I tell you, studying for this, it was a struggle. I just wanted to go back and start at Genesis and go all the way through because there's so much good stuff here. We'll get to it another time. But I'm giving you a little introduction so you can wrap your head around what's going on historically because it really helps you to understand the story better. So Ezra comes back. He brings another group of people with him. And they come to help finish rebuilding the temple. They get the temple rebuilt, but still, it's not the same. The people are missing the glory of God. People are not turning to God as they should. In fact, many of the Israelites had intermarried with the other tribes around them. Ezra is very upset about this. Nehemiah then follows Ezra. As we go through this story in the book of Nehemiah, we'll see that he came to rebuild the walls. You can see there a bit of a timeline up there. So this, the year is now 444 B.C. Ezra's read the law, and then we see as they get ready to go back, Nehemiah is going to go to Jerusalem. But I want you to look in Nehemiah chapter 1 this morning because we don't want to get him all the way to Jerusalem without first understanding how he got there. Because Nehemiah at this point, he's living in Persia. He's working for the king at this time. The king by this time, his name was Artaxerxes. And as he's working there for the king, he held a, positions of, a position of high importance. He was the king's cupbearer. So that means he had a position of great trust. He was in a, a very special position. You had to be incredibly faithful and trustworthy to have this position because you were the one that served the king his drink, the one that brought the food to the king. They would take a taste of it themselves, a sip of the drink to make sure it wasn't poison, to make sure that they could drink it and it would be okay. This was the guy the king was literally trusting with his life. So Nehemiah, he has a position here that God's put him in, in the temple, or not in the temple, but working for the king, King Artaxerxes. So I want you to go back, though, to the beginning of chapter 1. Here we have the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu. So this is somewhere in the winter time. The 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace that Hanani, one of my brethren, so some of Nehemiah's brothers had gone back to Jerusalem with Ezra. One of them came back. 
he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. I want you to notice four different things as we look through chapter 1 this morning. The first thing is right here. Notice Nehemiah's great problem. He's got a big problem. What's his problem? Well, his people are in affliction. They're suffering. The walls and the gates are broken down and burned down. How sad. Nehemiah, he's working in a position of importance. He's, he's got a relatively comfortable life. But he hears about his city. He hears about his people. He hears about this great problem. We heard about a problem even now with a ticket, and not a ticket, but an immigration problem. Some of you have financial problems. Some of you have health problems. Some of you have family problems. Some of you have employment problems. I think if we were to go around the room this morning, it'd probably be the, the it'd take all the rest of the time that we have for the service just for everybody to share only one of their problems. Because I think the reality is everybody's carrying some problems around with them. And if you're not carrying a whole lot yourself, you probably are trying to help carry some problems for somebody else. We all have got a lot of problems. Nehemiah is presented with this great problem as his city is broken. The people are living in affliction and reproach. I look around at our city and I see a lot of people with a lot of problems. People coming by looking for a handout, a hand up, help. People needing education, people needing food, people needing shelter, People trying to find something to resolve the problems in their families. People lost without Jesus. People dying and going to hell. As I heard often when I was in college from our president, the most sobering reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. Did you know I, I did some reading on some statistics this week? They say between 100 to 150 churches will close this week. This will be their last Sunday. That's just in America. How sad. You look on the news, you see people fighting, people arguing. We read about all kinds of problems. Sin is on the rise. Wickedness abounds. Families are struggling. Marriages are broken. Wars and rumors of wars are going on. We have earthquakes. We have weather issues. There's problems all around us. I don't think it's hard for us to understand problems. We have them. We know what they are. We know that they exist. I would tell you the difference that sets those who follow God and those who want to please God with their life from everybody else is what they do with their problems. It's not whether or not you have them, because everybody has them. It's what you do with the problem when you have the problem. And I want you to notice very carefully this morning Nehemiah's response to his problem. Because his problem may not be your problem, but I believe his response is a wonderful example of how he dealt with his problem, of how we ought to deal with ours as well. We notice, first of all, in the next verse, I believe it's in verse 4 there, Nehemiah responded to his problem with great passion. It says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. We see Nehemiah evidence of his passion as he, as he demonstrated through his actions what the problem did to him. I mean, it created some problems for him. It made him upset. It says, he sat down. You say, well, that's not a big deal. This is a cupbearer. He's on his feet all the time. 
He's back and forth, ready to serve the king, take care of the king. In a moment's notice, he has to always be ready. This problem was big enough for him, it caused him to stop what he was doing and to sit down. It says he wept. He cried. He mourned. When you get over to chapter 2, and we will very soon in a couple of weeks, you'll see that when he came before the king the next time, the king could tell that he had been crying. This is an intense sorrow in this man. He wept and he mourned. And then the Bible says he fasted. Most of us probably don't even know what that is. Looking around, I can tell we don't know what that is. To fast means to go without food for the purpose of having time to focus on and pray to God. He fasted and he prayed. You see, I would, I would say that you would probably all agree with me that there's some big problems out there. The difference is how do we respond? I think a lot of people with their problems, they try to just ignore their problems and hope that they'll go away. That's one response people give. Well, I just can't do anything about it, so I just keep going and hope that they go away. While in one sense that may seem admirable and noble, just keep pressing on, I don't think just ignoring a problem is the way you deal with a problem. Because generally problems ignored don't go away. They just generally get bigger. Some people ignore their problems. Some people try to fight their problems. They say, I'm strong enough. I can do this on my own. A lot of times those people end up hurting themselves or somebody else. Nehemiah, though, this is clearly a big problem and it causes a response in him of great passion. He's passionate about it. He's not just ignoring this problem. He's not just hoping it goes away. He's not saying, well, at least I'm in a good place. I feel bad for those people over there, but hey, I can't do anything about it. At least I'm in a good place. No, this problem was so big that it caused him to stop. It caused him to weep. It caused him to fast. It caused him to pray. And I would ask you, what do your problems evoke in you? What do they cause you to do? Do they bring any passion in you? When you see the problem of, of those who are dying without Christ, people in Uganda and Rwanda that need educations for the purpose of trying to get them the gospel, people in the Dominican Republic that need Jesus, people in Houston right next door across the street around the corner that need the gospel, does that cause any passion to rise up in you? Do you get excited about that? Does that cause you to struggle a little bit or to think a little bit or to stop what you're doing and to pray? I don't know about you, but it does that for me. When I think, I, I, I'll drive down the road and I'll see people. I was following Lewis this morning on the way to church this morning. And this guy almost ran him over, just cut him off. And I thought, I wish that guy was coming to church with us this morning. I don't know where he was going, but it didn't look like he was on his way to church. I hope you didn't cut, cut anybody off on your way to church this morning. But I think about those people. Who's going to tell them about Jesus? I remember... Several years ago, I was flying back to Houston. It was several months, six months before we started the church. We hadn't even moved back here yet. I remember flying in and it was dark and the lights of the city and I was praying as I looked down. I said, Lord, help us to reach Houston with the gospel. I talked with David this week who's starting the church down a little closer to downtown this week, and we were praying together about the opportunity to share the gospel in a new neighborhood that we haven't been in before. Praying for this opportunity to encourage some other churches to come together to help this new church. You'll hear from him next Sunday. You'll see his video next Sunday. You'll hear from a couple that has a passion to do something for the cause of Christ. We read letters from our missionaries. We heard from a missionary last Sunday to Japan. It takes a great passion to do what they do. To live in a place where you're far away from home and most of your family 
It's not your normal culture. It's not your normal language. It's not your normal people. But they live there and they serve year after year after year. He said it was the first time they'd been home in four years. It's a long time. It's a long time. Some of us would struggle if we didn't get to go home every week. Every month. How do they do that? Well, they saw there was a problem. God burdened them with the need. They were passionate to do something about it. I would say if a problem doesn't invoke any passion in you, that it is doubtful you will do anything about it. If you can just ignore it, the spiritual and physical struggles of those around us, or if you can, but or we can realize that God has put us here as His children to be lights in a dark world, to be the messengers of hope in Christ and peace with Christ. We have the words of eternal life. Say, well, how do you know if you're passionate about something? Well, generally, how you spend your time is a good indicator of what you're passionate about. How you spend your money is a good indicator of what you're passionate about. What stops you? What keeps you up at night? What brings emotion to you? What causes you to have tears? Those are the things you're passionate about. And I would ask you, are the things that you're passionate about, are they the same things that God is passionate about? Or are we so caught up with the things of this world that we're so passionate about things that may be good things, but maybe not the best things? Nehemiah had great passion. But you may say, well, I'm very passionate about some things. I want to help boys and girls in Rwanda, but I'm not sure what to do next. I'm thankful for a family stepping out by faith to do something, even though it may not look like they have much means to do so. I'm thankful for a church that wants to step out by faith to help to serve and to help to start even another church, even though some would say, and I've had already the phone calls from people, you shouldn't be doing this right now. You need to just focus on your own church. I say, well, I think we could do both. Because in Acts 1.8, God's called us to do both. In fact, he says to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth all at the same time. How are we going to do that? Well, I can't go to all those places at the same time. But we can send people. We can support people. We can pray for people. We can be involved in encouraging people to do that. And we can be faithful at the same time to be witnesses right here for Christ. Nehemiah had a great passion. But notice what he did with his passion. Because I think this is where the rubber really starts to meet the road. Because sometimes we get excited about it. And I would say I get excited every Sunday to come to church and to see people and to worship God together. But what we do on Monday is really important. In fact, it might even be more important than what you did here today. Because it's where you actually go and put feet to your prayers. Go put feet to what you heard. Go actually live out what you heard talked about. So what did Nehemiah do? Well, we read next verses 5 through 11 of Nehemiah's great prayer. I want to encourage you this morning. I don't know what all of your problems are. Could be your family. Could be your spouse. Could be your children. Could be your financial situation. Could be your health. Often the problems feel so big. What can I do about my problems? Step one. Pray. Look at verse 5. Nehemiah said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love Him and observe His commandments. Verse 6, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night. This wasn't a one-time prayer. He's praying day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I, notice how he's very personal in this prayer, both I and 
my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, that means to break God's law, I will scatter you abroad among the nations, but if ye turn unto me, Here's this promise. And keep my commandments and do them. Though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I've chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, This is the third time he's used that phrase. I beseech thee. He's begging him. Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, before we go too far here, this is a very important point. Please don't miss this. Often when we face a problem, we start asking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And when someone says pray, we feel like, okay, I get that, but then what can I do? Nehemiah isn't so concerned about what he can do at this point. He's more concerned about what God can do. And when we get so focused on what I can do with the problem, that's often... A big issue right there that keeps us from moving any further to solving our problem. Because we try to do it on our own. Well, I'll pray and then let me do something. Stop doing that. Notice his prayer. He's very, very key points in this prayer. First of all, he prays to God who has all power. He recognizes the power of God. You see that in verse 5. He prays to the Lord God of heaven. The great and terrible, that word means awesome God. Folks, remember who you're praying to. It's not just acknowledging, yes, God, you exist. Now bless me so I can do what I want to do. No, God, you have all power. That's so important that we start with that understanding. If we don't have the right understanding of who God is, then how would we ever expect him to do what needs to be done? We're praying to the God who has the power to do whatever needs to be done. We're praying to the God who has all power in heaven and in earth. He's the greatest. He's the highest. He's the best. He's awesome. He prayed to the God who has all power. Notice though, secondly, we see in verse 5 and then also in verses 8 and 9, he's praying to God who keeps his promises you see there in verse 5 he says that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments God always keeps his promises here the word is covenant a covenant is a mutual agreement two people come together to agree upon something and one side says I'll do this the other side says I'll do this And they work together. But notice a covenant here was conditional. Do you know what a condition is? You know what that is. You may say, well, that's like the fine print, right? God says, I will keep my covenant with you if ye will obey me and keep my commandments. See, our attitude before God, our position before Him, our obedience to God is extremely important when it comes to dealing with our problems. Sometimes people say, well, God, I want you to fix my problem, but I want to keep living how I want to live. Realize for God to fix your problem, maybe he needs to fix you first. If you're living in sin, don't expect God to fix your problem. In fact, it might not be so much of a problem and rather God's plan in your life to bring you back to himself. Kind of like if one of my children disobeyed 
and I was going to discipline them, punish them for doing wrong, they came in and said, Daddy, please take away the punishment. Well, no, I'm not going to take away the punishment. The punishment is there so that you'll get your heart right so you won't disobey. When God allows something in your life, it's not always because you're doing wrong. But make sure that your heart is right with God. And there's not sin in your heart. That you're not holding on to some wrongdoing that you're wanting to do. Some hard-headed position that you have. Some stubborn place where you live because, well, I'm just going to do this anyway and I hope God can fix it. But if He can't, I'm hanging on to this. No, God's promise here to bless is based on their obedience. And sure, God is gracious. God is merciful. God's taking care of a lot of people who still do a lot of wrong things. I understand that. But make sure your heart is right with God. He's praying to a God who keeps His promises. We see this again in verses 8 and 9. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. See, he's expounding on the promise that he talked about, the covenant, in verse number 5. So he prays to a God who has all power. He prays to a God who keeps his promises. Notice in verse 6, I love this. He prays to God who hears his prayers. You see it there in verse 6? Let thine ear now be attentive. And thine eyes open that thou may hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house of sin. He's praying to a God that hears. Folks, when you pray, it's not just, well, I had to repeat those words and get them out of my system, so then I get God to do what, he, what I want Him to do. No, you're praying to a God who actually Years. Isn't that a wonderful blessing to know when you pray, God is listening? It's nice to be able to talk to somebody when they listen, isn't it? That's why my wife's talking to me. I need to put down my book, put down my phone. I need to listen. Or maybe, men, you try to do like I do sometimes. I can hear you. I can hear you just fine. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep saying what you're saying. Aren't you thankful God's not on his phone? He's listening. He's watching. He hears your prayers. He hears your prayers in the daytime. He hears your prayers in the nighttime. He hears your prayers. He's praying to a God who hears. But then we also see his prayer to God is a prayer of a penitent heart. You saw that in verses 6 and 7. He said that we confess the sins of the children of Israel. He starts out by confessing the sins of an entire nation. Have you ever thought about doing that? Have you ever confessed the sins of your nation? Confessed the sins of your city? Well, that's their problem. That's the other political party. That's their sin. Are you part of this country or not? Are you part of this church or not? Right? They confess the sins of other people because they included, Nehemiah included himself as part of the group. He confessed the sins of the children of Israel and then he says both the sins of of I and my father's house. Then he confesses his own sin. Then he confesses the sin of his family. He even gets specific. Verse, the next verse, we have dealt very corruptly against thee. He's not sugarcoating his sin. Yeah, God, forgive the sin. Let's go on. No, we've been very corrupt. We have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. 
You know, God had put a lot of commandments on the children of Israel. We know of the Ten Commandments. But you know, He had also commanded them to celebrate Passover. Those commandments aren't the same for us today. We understand that. We're under grace, not under the law. We don't have to follow the Old Testament sacrificial system, but Nehemiah was supposed to have done that. Was Nehemiah celebrating the Passover every year in Jerusalem like he was supposed to? No. Well, but I have to work for the king. It's easy to have excuses, isn't it? No, Nehemiah was honest. I've sinned. My father's house has sinned. Our nation has sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee. He confessed his sin to God. I would say before you can expect God to fix your problem, make sure your heart is right with God. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Until you realize that it is your own sin keeping you from doing what God wants you to do and seeing God's blessing in your life, you will never do anything to make a difference in the world for Christ. It's easy to blame someone else for your problems. Understand, it's my own sin. There, the little song that says, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my father, not my mother, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me standing in the need of prayer. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. No one is holding you back from following God but you. It's not someone else's sin that's keeping you from serving God. It's your own sin. He confessed his sin. But then we see in verses 10 and 11 a prayer for God's provision. He prayed to God who provides. He says, now these are thy servants and thy people. Saying, God, we are yours. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He says, we are thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. I love the theme of redemption, even in the Old Testament. Of course, we see that fulfilled fully in the New Testament when Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins to redeem us, to buy us back from the slave market of sin. Lord, Thou hast redeemed us by Thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech Thee, let now Thine ear be attentive to the prayer of Thy servant and to the prayer of Thy servants who desire to fear Thy name. Notice this prayer. He's saying, we're the servants, we're the ones, God, that desire to fear Your name. I would ask you, why are you trying to get your problem fixed? Nehemiah says, it's because we desire to fear your name. As Solomon said, God wants a humble and contrite spirit. So if God wants us to fear Him, to follow Him, to obey Him, that's really the only reason that we ought to have to live. Lord, I want to live for your glory, or as 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Nehemiah is not praying for his problem to be fixed just to make his life easier. He's not praying for his problem to be fixed just because it'll be nice for him. He's saying, it's our prayer, Lord, that we would be able to fear your name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And that brings us to the last point. We've seen Nehemiah's great problem. We've seen his great passion. 
his great prayer. But I want you to see finally this morning Nehemiah's great position. Those last few words of verse 11, as I was reading and studying, these are some of those words you kind of just jump over and skip on to the next chapter, but I think they're very important. He said, for I was the king's cupbearer. Why did it matter that he was the king's cupbearer? I would ask you, why does it matter that God has you in the position he has you in? Do you think God has you where you are for a purpose? Do you think He has you interacting with the people that He has you interacting with for a reason? Living in the house or the apartment that you're living in for a reason? Has the family that you have for a reason, the friends, the co-workers, the people, I mean everything about your life, God has you in that position for His purpose. I think it's interesting that Nehemiah recognized I was the king's cupbearer. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm the king's cupbearer. God grant me mercy before this man. It, it sounds like Nehemiah already has a plan to go forward here. He's realized God has put him in a position where he has an opportunity to speak to the king. We'll get more into that in the coming weeks, but for Nehemiah to go to the king with a personal request like this would not have been acceptable. This would not have been the norm. The, the servant didn't come to the king and ask the king for stuff. The king came to the servant and asked the servant for stuff. Nehemiah could lose his life by going to the king to ask him for something. But Nehemiah realized, God's put me in this position for a purpose. And you'll see that carried out if you go on into chapter 2. I don't think I'm making a big mountain out of a mole here molehill here. I think this is a very important thing that he understood that he was the king's cupbearer. God had him in this position for a very specific purpose to accomplish the plan that God had for his people. And I would tell you, I, whatever your educational level is, whatever languages you have or don't have, whatever talents you have, connections, skills, financial situation, whether you have a lot or a little, your experiences, your background, the hard things that you've been through, the good things that you've been through, God puts all those things together for a purpose. Amen. It was Nehemiah's purpose to be the king's cupbearer. You say, that kind of seems pointless. He's an Israelite in Persia working for the king. Well, because God needed him to talk to the king. God wanted him to talk to the king to bring all those people back with him and to bring all that support back with him. God puts you where you are for a purpose. I think it ought to be our prayer to say, God, whatever my problem is, I know that you have the power to take care of it. I know that you can hear my prayers. I know that you keep your promises. God, I want to make sure my heart's right with you this morning. God, we need you to provide. But God, I'm here as your servant. Use me right where I'm at to serve you and do what you want me to do right here. I think sometimes people get the idea, well, I can't serve God right here. I have to fix all this and get through all this mess and get over to this new place in my life and now I can serve God. Once I pay off these bills, once I work out these problems, once I deal with this sickness, once I, whatever it is, Amen. now I can serve God. Start serving God right now where you are. Get right with God right now where you are. And let God take you where he wants you. Did Nehemiah stay as the king's cupbearer? No, he didn't. If you know the story, he didn't stay there very long. Very quickly, God moved him on and used him to fulfill this wonderful thing. Don't run past where you are because God has you where you are, that position for a purpose right now. Pray and ask for God's help. I think this morning, as I finish the service the preaching time. I'm going to close in prayer. I really feel there's some people here
that need to get with God in prayer. I need to get with God this morning. I had to spend a lot of time thinking about this this week. A lot of stuff running around my head, you know, helping people with their problems in the church, figuring out the next steps of where we're going as a church. How are we supposed to do this and do that? You know, there's lots of opportunities. Which one's the right one? How do we know where to spend our money and be good stewards and do what the Lord wants? Oh, we got to fix this. Oh, the AC broke it. You know, it's just always something, right? But God, you have me right here for a purpose to serve you today. What is it? How can I serve you from this point right here, right now, going forward? I think for you this morning, it would be great if you would come to God and say, God, I'm here. It's a mess. It's a problem. There's a lot of struggle going on, but I'm committing to God to serve you from this point forward. Use my experiences, use my mess, use my problems, use my struggles, use all those things. Use them for your glory to accomplish whatever it is your purpose is. For me, for this church, for my family, for life. I think God can use that because Remember, this story isn't so much about Nehemiah as it is about Nehemiah's God. What God do you serve? I'm thankful to say I serve the God of Nehemiah. The God who can do great things with little people. Would you commit to serve this same God with me this morning? Let's stand for prayer. Pianist comes. Um, you can go ahead and start playing when you get there, when you're ready. I'm going to pray. Father, help us. Thank you for this example of Nehemiah. But thank you as we read his story, we read of your working in his life. Pray that we would be inspired and encouraged to step forward. To deal with our problems with passion and prayer as we seek your will. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano plays, you come. As God has spoken to your heart this morning, I'm here to pray with you, talk with you, encourage you if I can. You come do what God wants you to do. Won't you come? Won't you give it to the Lord today? He can help you. He can work out His purpose. He can fix those problems. Give it to Him. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love and care for us. Lord, you've blessed our church so abundantly. It's my belief that you've prepared us. You've blessed us to have the strength to be able to continue to reach out to this community. I believe there's a lot of growth taking place in our church right now. A lot of spiritual growth in people. Lord, you've even added to our number recently, and we thank you for the new people that have come to be a part of our church. Lord, we have a great opportunity to be a blessing to and a help in another place. But Lord, I also want to pray for those even in our own church, those who are struggling, those that need you. Encourage them. Help them to know that you are the God who has all power. The God who keeps promises. The God who hears prayers. The God who can solve our problems. Or may we give those problems to you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.